0: This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Inside China Tech. I'm Zen Su, a technology reporter of the South China Morning Post. And today I have just one word for you in what's happening in the technology space. Huawei. As we know... Huawei has been charged by the US for violating sanctions on Iran, as well as stealing trade secrets. Today, I have with me a very special guest. We have Christopher Balding, who is an associate professor at the Fulbright University Vietnam. Christopher spent almost a decade in China. You know, he was based in Shenzhen at the HSBC Business School of Peking University. He was an associate professor of economics and business there. And As we know, Huawei is based in Shenzhen, Christopher is also based in Shenzhen, and he has been following the developments of the Huawei case very closely. So just so you know, Christopher is dialing in from Vietnam, so we have had a couple of connection issues, which is a little bit ironic considering we're talking about the world's largest telecommunications equipment provider. But hey, let's just get right into it. Hey Christopher, how are you doing? Good, thank you for having me today. Tell us, what are the implications of the U.S. charges on Huawei?
0: I think there's a couple of specific uh, implications. I think the first one is that this is essentially removing it from uh, any type of political process. Um, Now that the charges have been filed, uh, this essentially uh, is in the hands of the prosecutor and the judge. uh, And then if it gets to that point, uh, a jury, Uh, this, uh, this essentially removes it. Uh, from the political process. This is now in the hands of the prosecutor uh, and the judge, and if it gets to that point, a jury. But this essentially makes it very, very difficult for President Trump to make it some type of uh, trade agreement that is that will remove these charges from Huawei and, and Sabrina bank So that really changes the, the, the scope of any type of agreement. I think the other thing that it, it quite clearly indicates is that Huawei's problems, not just in the United States, but globally um, are going to be dogging it for some time into the foreseeable future, that these are not going to be problems that are wrapped up within the next 60
1: to 90 days. What's the worst case scenario for Huawei here?
0: I think the worst case scenario for Huawei is that they are essentially given the death sentence and forbidden from being able to buy U.S. goods and services. That is essentially what they're working to, I think, working to avoid at this point uh, to make sure that that does not happen. But that would be a very serious blow, not just to Huawei and its employees, but to China and their tech aspirations.
1: Yeah, this is a little bit reminiscent of what happened with ZTE last year, who were banned from uh, buying and doing business with American suppliers. Do you think that this is the same situation and Huawei will go down that route?
0: Right now the indications are is that Huawei intends to fight it much more. And I think what uh from a strategic perspective, uh that's going to make it much harder to, let's say, pull a ZTE and have President Trump or, or some other authority step in and say, we're, we're not going to give uh, Huawei uh, uh, essentially a ban on purchasing U.S. goods and services. The longer this is drawn out in the more Huawei fights. ZTE had reached an agreement. Uh, they were then found to have violated the agreement they reached, at which point they were given uh, the the death sentence, but it was because they reached an agreement early on that it even got to that point. So if Huawei essentially draws this out and continues to fight at length, that's going to make uh, taking it into that type of dispute settlement mechanism um, increasingly hard. So I think that's that's one of the things Huawei should think about is how to limit the damage rather than fighting this all the way through to the bitter end.
1: Do you see these actions that the U.S. Uh, is taking against Huawei as like a broader indicator of the U.S. attitudes towards Chinese technology companies?
0: I understand why that is uh, a common perception um, in the United States and uh, and in China. Um, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to support uh, the idea that there is some type of vendetta out against, uh, Chinese firms. Um, if you look at, for instance, uh, Chinese investment into the United States, a lot of which is technology based, um, there's been very few deals actually blocked. Um, there's, there's, you know, you can give other examples of where there's been similar types of, um, legal disputes or something like that. And they basically rank, you know in in frequency the same way that you know there are examples of Japanese or German or other types of firms encountering similar problems so while I very much understand the perception, I don't think it holds up to scrutiny that Chinese firms are targeted more because they are Chinese um, if you compare Chinese firms or Chinese investment um, into the United States to german Japanese types of firms blocked investments, disputes, uh, regulatory issues, um, they're basically pretty much on par with other issues that, you know, Japanese, Dutch, German, English uh, investors and firms have. So I don't think they're targeted disproportionately more, though I, I definitely understand that that perception that, you know, uh, and, and asking why.
1: Okay, so you don't think that there is a war uh, or that, you know, that the U.S. is... Trying to wage some kind of war against Chinese technology because you know before President Trump was saying like, you know Chinese tech companies steal intellectual property from the U.S.
0: Politically, is definitely wary about uh, Chinese tech. Um, I think there. I think there's two important distinctions, however, to make. I think first of all is we need to, we need to separate the rhetoric of the Trump administration. From the reality of, uh, you know, regulatory disputes with Chinese firms or blocking specific investments, things like that. And if we look at the empirical realities, take away from the rhetoric, I think what you see is that Chinese firms are treated very, very similarly to how you know Japanese or German or other investors into the United States are uh, are treated, even in uh, the tech space and um, emerging uh, technology
1: how will this affect huawei's business globally with other countries like you know we know like that countries like germany like new zealand they're either reviewing or banning the use of um huawei's telecommunications equipment so will the us sort of stance affect huawei's sort of international business
0: uh no i think one of the things is is you, you've, you've, you've heard from a lot of different countries uh, similar types of concerns. But one of the things is, is that a lot of these countries have not wanted to uh, push these issues for fear of angering China. Um, we, we definitely see how China reacts over, uh, let's say, much less uh, sensitive issues. Um, and so I think there's 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 always been this fear that you know we're going to anger China. So when the U.S does this, I think more than anything, this gives other countries um, the, the the freedom or the cover to say, hey, we're going to express similar doubts, um, some of them because they're definitely pushed by the United States. I think some of them also because uh, they have had those those similar concerns for some time.
1: Where do you think Huawei would try and expand next if they're not welcome in the West, like in the U.S. and Europe?
0: So I think uh, the the obvious uh, I think the obvious place where you're seeing a lot of uh, Huawei products being sold uh, is primarily in places like uh, emerging Asia, um, everywhere from Singapore to uh, Myanmar to places like that, uh, and then also in Africa. Where where uh, Huawei and ZTE are doing a lot of work um, in, in in rolling out four G systems. So I think uh, I think that is uh, I think that's the, 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 the new the, the new markets for Huawei is in those areas.
1: Earlier, you mentioned that uh, the U.S. indictment takes it out of Trump's hands. And what do you think he will do? Do you think it is possible for him to sort of override the decision? That was made, like with ZTE, or do you think Huawei will likely be in a very different situation? I think
0: there's so it's it's very very difficult to project uh, the direction this is going to take because there's so many uh, there's so many factors at play. There's so many additional actors at play. Um, there is a bill in the U.S. Senate uh, that would crack down. Uh, significantly more on ZTE and Huawei. Um, there would probably be legal disputes as to whether or not uh, Congress even has that authority if the bill passed. Um, there are, you know, how, how much is Huawei going to fight the indictment uh, that they have? You know, are they going to see this through to a jury trial? Um, all of these kinds of issues, and it just makes it very, very difficult to uh, to do that. I think the other factor is is that politically, um, I think one of the few things that Republicans and Democrats in the United States agree over is uh, the threat that China poses. So I think there is there would be enormous pressure on uh, on the president, uh, whether it was President Trump or whether it was. Uh, you know, an, another president, given the, the looming presidential election next year, um, that they would face enormous pressure not to go easy on Huawei. Um, we also don't know really much about Huawei's strategy at this point. Um, ZTE, they opted to try and settle the dispute. Um, and th- so they had an agreement, they had a settlement with the Justice Department Um Basically, where the charges did not even go to trial. Um, so I think there's so many factors in how this can play out. We need to think about it very differently and say, well, how would uh, how would Huawei handle this situation? And so if they fought all the way through to the bitter end for lack of a better term, that would radically change the you know calculus as to whether or not they would be facing some type of death penalty, so to speak. Or or some other type of penalty, and so I think it's really too early to really speculate as to uh, as to potential outcomes. But I do think very clearly Huawei needs to think very clearly about the best way to settle this, because it is the it. it, I think it's clear that the more it fights and the more evidence that would get produced, the more pressure there would be on uh, on. American presidents or others to, uh, to really come down hard on them.
1: So we know that Huawei now is the world's largest telecommunications equipment company. So they've basically gone, I think, in the last twenty years or so, from like a really small company in Shenzhen to a company that basically you know sells everywhere in the world right now. How do you think Huawei became so competitive? Like, what is it about their technology that has really put them at the forefront of the telecommunications industry.
0: I mean, I do think uh, you know they are they are clearly a, a very competitive firm, um, and I think one of the one of the bigger picture issues that that Huawei and Beijing need to look at is no matter how competitive Huawei is, um, given a host of factors, um, they are seen as essentially a, a branch of the Beijing Ministry of Information. And as long as that uh, reputation follows them around, uh, rightfully or wrongfully, to be seen that way, and that's going to harm their competitiveness. I think it would be best for Huawei to say, you know, we want to stand on our own two feet independent of Beijing. We want to uh, have our innovations speak for itself. Um rather than uh even remotely being seen as linked to Beijing, and if you are the founder of a company um, and a senior member of the CCP, you cannot make that claim credibly
1: but Huawei has actually repeatedly said this right like in in front of congress they 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 have sort of identified themselves as an independent company you know and they're clearly they have research and development centers all over the world they sell their equipment um at a very Competitive price, but at the same time, it seems like none of this works. And you know, how do you think Chinese companies will be affected by that? Because I think basically everyone sees that as long as you're a Chinese company, you come under the purview of the Chinese government.
0: Uh, if we if we just look at the founder of Huawei, Ren Zhengfei, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing him his name wrong. My children make fun of my Chinese tones. Um, but if we just look at him. Um, his background uh, in the PLA and his seniority in the CCP makes it very, very difficult to separate uh, to, to separate the two. Um, and so they can go to Congress, they can they can tell people in sales meetings that that we're not. Um, but when the, the the ties are so obviously clear, um, it makes it very, very difficult to separate the two. And what is so tragic about this is that um, Huawei does not need the CCP. Um, they do not need Beijing's protection, but as long as those ties very clearly continue to exist, it's going to be very problematic uh, for Huawei as a company to to separate.
1: But these are ties that can never be separated, right? Because he's the founder. And so is there anything Huawei could do to sort of establish that they are an independent company?
0: That's very, very difficult to say in 2019 China, because the CCP has put itself at the heart of basically every corporation every every industry, so how do you as a company that wants to be known as an internationally competitive company that is not under the rule of Beijing uh in as a chinese company there's really almost nothing you 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 can do because that has the entire thrust of uh, Beijing economic policy.
1: So we're at this crossroads moment now, where there are a lot of Chinese companies trying to go global. Be it Alibaba, who also owns the South China Morning Post, and companies like Huawei and Baidu. So is this the is this the death for them now? Can they still still go global? Basically,
0: um, I think I think they can uh, go global, um, and and I, and I hope they do. I'm a fan of competition. You know, a lot of these Chinese companies that we're mentioning here. Um, whether it's uh, whether it's Alibaba or Huawei, uh, they are competitive companies. Um, I think one of the things, though, is is that uh, Beijing is going to be holding them back. Um, Are they are they profit making competitive firms that are focused on global markets or are they communist uh, propaganda machines? Are they uh, are they responsible to the marketplace and and their shareholders or are they responsible to uh, to Chairman Xi? I think WeChat is is an excellent example in, in different ways. Um, and, but one of the things that you see is that uh, when you, you, you hear regular reports about when people try to access information on WeChat overseas, um, WeChat still p- applies Chinese censorship uh, standards to basically WeChat globally. And so a lot of people that want to look at you know, Chinese stories will find them blocked on WeChat over, even overseas. Um, and so when we talk about Chinese companies that want to go global, that are being held back by Beijing um, outside of China, that's not going to be an acceptable business practice. Um, and as a business that is going global, are you responsible to she or are you responsible to your customers and shareholders?
1: But actually with WeChat sort of censoring their their global content is that mandatory by the, the government or is, it, is that Tencent just taking, just deciding that it's easier that we just apply it across the board? I couldn't tell you exactly. It, it might be some
0: combination of both where the government, where the sensors just work on the app globally. And then if, it, if, if somebody happens to read and ha- happens to see an article that, you know, and they're in Australia or the United States or wherever, it's still blocked. Um, But I couldn't tell you the exact reason as to why.
1: Do you think that the U.S. pressing charges against Huawei is it trying to signal that Chinese companies should not be trusted with the next generation 5G telecommunications networks?
0: I think that's what they're I think that's absolutely what uh, they're trying to make the point. And I think there's a very subtle shift in how countries view security. Um, it used to be uh, even, let's say, 20, 20, 30 years ago, countries viewed security by military might. And they absolutely still do to a significant degree. Let's not, let's not overlook that. But I think even in the past 10 years, there's been a relatively significant shift that countries view a lot of their security around the information that they possess. And so one of the things that is so important is China and the United States are saying, we need to define our security by the information that we have and who has access to that information. It's assumed that if you're building the infrastructure or working on the technology communications infrastructure, that you are a trusted security partner of some kind, because you will have access to that information And countries are defining security now as closely linked with the information that they generate within their country.
1: So will we see a split down the telecoms industry where, you know, Huawei and ZTE might only supply equipment to Asian countries and the Chinese market because they've been blocked out of the West and Western companies, you know, whether Nokia or Cisco would be the ones supplying telecoms equipment for So I think
0: you definitely have to think of that as a very distinct uh, possibility. I think you can already see where there are, say, uh, a significant number of developed markets that are using, uh, let's say, primarily Nokia Ericsson uh, components. Uh, You can see China and closely linked uh, countries using Huawei ZTE technology. And then there's that, that third group where there's a lot of countries in the middle which, you know, don't have any particular alliance. They want to avoid uh, thinking of themselves in some type of alliance. And they can be swung by, by a sales pitch to either buy Huawei or Ericsson or uh, some combination uh, therein. Um, so I definitely think you can see that happening already. And it's not hard to think that, that, that those lines are only going to sharpen in the future.
1: Chris, I know you're really busy. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. All right, everyone. That's the end of our podcast this week. Of course, once again, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Zensu. And if you would like to follow Christopher on Twitter, his handle is at Baldings World. So that's at B-A-L-D-I-N-G-S-W-O-R-L-D. Don't forget, we are filing sorry's every day on what's happening with this Huawei case and in the broader Chinese tech landscape. So if you want to check that out, visit scmp.com slash tech. I will see you next week. Bye.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?